I jotted down a couple stuff. We'll see what we get through. Uh, first, Shaila's, I, I got this last night. It's interesting, Shaila. Someone called me up and he said, he said that he has uh, grape juice in his, uh, in his house and his non-Jewish cleaning lady moved the grape juice. Okay, so, so what's the problem? He said, it says on the grape juice, non-mavushal. So is it a problem? So let, let me explain like this. Now, I'm not going to get involved. There is a separate Shiloh, but that's not for now, of what type of movement. Right? The basic overall concept is like this. The concept is that Chazal, Chazal Asr, that if a non-Jew is not allowed to touch non-mavushal wine, now, the reason for this is uncooked wine they're not allowed to touch is because Chazal were afraid of intermarriage and uh, idolatry. And therefore, they just said, let's just separate it. Meaning, intermarriage, because the concern is you start drinking with someone that's not Jewish, and then, it, you know, you hit it off, and then they, they stay not Jewish, and then it's a problem. Or uh, idolatry. The, the wine was used for idolatry. So... Okay, now there's a separate shaila of what type of touching is a problem. They just moved it to the fridge. I'm not getting involved with that. I just want to clarify one point. Chazal only forbade non-mevushal wine, which means wine that's not cooked. Once wine is mevushal, once it's cooked, it's fine. Now, what's the difference? So it's very practical. Wine that was cooked was not common in the times of Chazal. They didn't drink cooked wine. All wine that was like good and like you know, drinkable was non-mevushal. They never served mevushal wine. It was, it was unheard of. Even nowadays, uh, you know, a chash of a wine connoisseurs are not going to have, uh, you know, muscatadasti. You know what I mean? Wine, it's, it's, it was more chash So when Chazal forbade it, they did the more common application. The more common application was non-mevushal. So here's the thing. What's the definition of mevushal? What defines cooked? So you say, well, cooked is 212, right? Boiled, right? That's cooked. So that's the sheet of Rav Shleim Zalman and Rav Yashiv. And therefore, if wine or grape juice is not brought to 212, it is non-mevushal and it's an issue. Rav Moshe Feinstein disagrees. Rav Moshe Feinstein feels that the definition of cooked is not 212. The de- definition of cooked is cooked in halacha. And when it comes to the laws of Shabbos, right? If I take a cup of water and I heat it up on Shabbos, do I have to get it to 212 to break Shabbos? No. I have to get it to what's called Yad Soledesbo. Yad Soledesbo is a shaila. Some say it's 110, 120, 125, according to Shalem Zalman. 180 is for sure Yad Soledes. Yad Soledes means it's hot enough that a person will pull his hand back. That's considered cooked when it comes to the laws of Shabbos. Ramosha finds his opinion is that when it comes to cooking all the Torah, that's the definition of cooking. Now, why is this relevant? Pasteurization, Louis Pasteur, pasteurization means that Louis Pasteur figured out that if you heat a liquid at a low simmer of about 165 to 180, over a long period of time, it will kill all the pathogens and it'll kill all the bacteria without having to boil it. Grape juice is pasteurized. All grape juice is pasteurized because if it wasn't pasteurized, it would turn into wine. In the times of the Gemara, before pasteurization, grape juice was just something you could drink for two months and then it turned into wine. The fact that you can go to the store and buy grape juice year-round, is it's pasteurized. It has to be pasteurized unless I'm, I'm completely... I didn't go to college, but unless I'm completely wrong on this one, it has to be pasteurized, which means 
all grape juice is mavushal, according to Rav Moshe Feinstein. Now, the reason why some hechsherim will say non-mavushal is because they're being strict by Rav Shleim Zalman's opinion and Rav Yashiv's opinion. But according to Rav Moshe, it's fully cooked. Therefore, no grape juice will ever be an issue. Now, the reason why this is very relevant and very good to know is because if you are having Kiddush on Friday night and you, you, there's someone at your table who's either not Jewish or not, not observant, we do know there's a concept that doesn't always apply depending on how they went off the derech and did they know about it, all that whole to do. But in general, we do not like to have wine that is not cooked when someone that's not religious is at the table. So it's always a good idea, have mevushal wine. So a lot of times people will not think and they'll just buy grape juice, not realizing that the answer is all grape juice is fine according to Moshe Feinstein, so therefore there is no problem. And although it might say on certain hechsherim, non-mevushal, that is more of the chasidisha and they're not following the view of Ramosha Feinstein, but this is definitely something that you could follow. You could definitely follow Ramosha Feinstein for sure. So that's that halach. I just wanted to clarify that point. So grape juice will be fine under all circumstances. Again, that's a great question, which is why didn't they, if the whole point is to avoid socializing, they should outlaw beer. The answer is, they, they, there is, by the way, there is some regulations of going to a bar and drinking. There is a simon in Shulchan Aruch, but to answer your question directly, Chazal forbade the more common drink. Beer was not common in the times of the Gemara. They drank wine. That was the drink. They drink wine more than they drink water. So while date beer was a thing, it was obscure. It wasn't like it is today. Listen, just Agav, I'll take you know. There's a separate Shiloh, right? There's a separate Shiloh that I don't know if you ever noticed. We, we spoke about this once, I don't know, at some point. So, you know, there's a concept that you're really supposed to make Kiddush on Shabbos Day, Friday night also, but you're supposed to make Kiddush Shabbos Day on wine, wine or grape juice. That's, that's really what it's preferred. So there's a Shaila. People sometimes make grape juice, uh, make Kiddush on beer, on schnapps, on vodka, tequila, all these things. So what's the heter for that? So the truth is, according to the Rambam and according to the Balatanya, according to many Rishonim, I'm sorry, not the Rambam, according to many Rishonim, it's not okay. You're supposed to make it on wine. The, the Shulchan Aruch writes, the only time you make Kiddush on non-wine is when it's called Hamar Medina, which he says is when there's no wine available. Meaning, but nowadays, where there's wine and grape juice available, you should make it on wine and grape juice, and that's why if you go to a Kiddush and there's a rabbi there, 99% of the time, they're going to be making Kiddush on wine and grape juice. And it's not just because they don't want to make a, you know, they don't want to drink vodka. It's because that's the proper thing to do. So what's the heter that many people will make Kiddush on non-wine, the reason is because the Rambam defines, and B'Alacha brings it down, that some define Hamar Medina, it's not that there's no wine available, but that the common drink, that that drink is more common than wine. So in the times of the Gemara, that was unheard of, but nowadays, yeah, they probably, people statistically probably drink more alcoholic beverage, that's beers, probably drink much more than wine. So for that argument, and schnapps as well, and whatever you call all these alcohols, so that, that could be the argument. My point is to answer your question directly, beer was not very common. Chazal only outlawed what was common at the time. And this goes back to what I spoke about Friday night. What I spoke about Friday night, just, oh yeah, that Ramosha forbade all Shabbos clocks, right? And he said, because he said, if Chazal, if timers existed in the times of the Gemara, they would have outlawed it. And therefore we should outlaw it now. Ravavad Yosef responds, we don't do that. We don't go into what would have been because Ravadia says, if we were to do that, then cooked wine would be the same as non-mavushal wine, because nowadays they're as common. Yeah, all these things. You go with what was at the times of Chazal. Chazal forbade the more common application. The common application was 
non-cooked wine. Not beer, not other things. That's what they forbade. And then we're not going to add to it. We're just going to stick with, we're going to keep our head down and just uh, just do the job. All right? Uh, now, Shiloh number two is, is a little more lengthy and it's detailed. So I, like, it would be conceptually good for people to write this down, but just listen. This is a concept. I, I just want to sort of bring about the concept and I'll tell you some of the details of it. Because a lot of people don't even know that this is a thing. When you go to shul and you come to Shachris, Shachris is 7 o'clock. Over here at 7 o'clock. If you show up here at 7.08 or 7.10, but not just here, the average shul, if you show up at 7.10, they're up to Yishtabach. Okay. Now, the question is you have two choices now. And I'll talk about Mincha and Mayrev in a second. But Shachris. You're like, okay, I'm Skadavan. Here's the deal. The most important thing is to start Shmona Esrei with the minion. The whole purpose of davening with a minion is to start Shmona Esrei, Amida, with the minion. To go to shul and to daven at your own pace, and then by the time you get up to Shmona Esrei, they're already finished davening, you missed out on Tefillah B'tzibar. The objective is to daven Shmona Esrei with B'tzibar. Now, because of this, while it is never good to skip, skipping is not a good idea just in general, as the Beis Yosef was told by a Malach, he used to have a uh, Chavrusa with an angel, a, and the, the Malach told the Malach told the Beis Yosef that skipping around during davening, he says, is mahapich tzinoyrus. It's like taking pipes and you start switching. You take you pipe under the toilet and you put it into the sink and you th- it messes up stuff. It's not very good. It's not good for your house. It's not good for davening. And you start skipping stuff. It's not good. That being said, while it is not good to skip, you have to skip in order to get to daven with the minion. But you can't skip everything, right? You can't just show up and skip everything and just say, I'm just going to say shma. Like, that's not enough. So what could I skip? What should I skip in order to get to the minion during shachris? I'll run through shachris. I'll run through mincha and mairif. Okay. So shachris, here's the deal. There, these are the things you have to say. And if you need to skip this also, you're just not davening with a minion today, right? You cannot skip everything. Here's what you have to say. Besides for putting on your tefillin, and you say brachas in the morning. I'm talking about from hodu until shmon asri. Here's what you have to say. Baruch she'amar, you have to say. Cannot skip that. Yishtabach, you have to say. Cannot skip that. Now, svardim will say, that's all you need to say. According to svardim, I'll tell you svardi approach, and I'll tell you the Ashkenazi approach. Svardi approach is, Baruch she'amar, at least according to Ravadia, not the Orlitzion, but according to Ravadia. Baruch she'amar, just say Baruch Shamar, just say Yishtabach, and then say it straight. There is no skipping after Yishtabach under any circumstance. The stuff after Yishtabach till Shmona Esrei, there is no skipping. If you need to skip in order to make Daven with the Minion, then you're just going to not Daven with the Minion today, and that's fine. But Baruch Shamar and Yishtabach, that is the minimum for Svardim. Okay? Ashkenazim add one more thing. Ashkenazim feel you have to say Baruch Shamar, Ashrei, and Yishtabach. You could skip everything else, so, you, so if I'm running late, here's what I should do. And I realize, I sort of make this mental math. If I say these three, if I skip, I'll be able to catch up. Because again, if, if, if even with skipping, you're not going to catch up, then there's no purpose of skipping. But you, you'll skip, so I get there. I'm like, okay, here's what I got to do. Skip, how do? Out. Mizmah Lasayda, out. I, I'll say Baruch Shammar. I'll say Ashrei. I'll say Yishtabach. And then I'll go straight. And now I'm caught up with them. That is the Ashkenazi psak. Svaradim will skip Ashrei also. That is the bare minimum. You cannot skip more than that. Okay. Now, this is in order to start with the minion. Now, let's say you have a little more time. 
Okay, so I got a little more time. I don't, I don't need to skip everything. I definitely need to skip some stuff. So here's what you do. Baruch Shamar Ashrei Yishtabach. On Shabbos, by the way, it's Baruch Shamar Ashrei Nishmas Yishtabach. Nishmas is very, very important. That's what you say. Now, throughout the week, let's say I have a little more time. There's levels. So it's Baruch Shamar Ashrei Yishtabach. Boom. The last Hallelujah is the next most important thing, the fifth one. Then the third Hallelujah. Again, you got to just sort of memorize this. Five, then three. Baruch Shamar Ashrei Yishtabach. Fifth Hallelujah. Third Hallelujah. Then if you have time, then you'll start adding in some other things. Some say Haidu, but that's really for Ashkenazim because they say Haidu after Baruch Shamar. For Svardim, uh, I would just say the other stuff. I would say the rest of the Hallelujahs, maybe fill in out. Az Yashir, that type of thing. But it's Baruch Shamar Asher Yishtabach, fifth Hallelujah, third Hallelujah, the rest of the Hallelujahs. That is the order of skipping in order to make up with the Tzibar. Now, a couple things. I'm going to run through some stuff, then I'm happy to take questions. Now, once I skip, let's say I skipped all the Hallelujahs. I had to. I had to, in order to catch up, I skipped all the Halukas. I finished Yishman Esrei. Should I say them now? So like, why not? So here's the deal. <laughs> so, I'll tell you, uh, I don't. The reason being is because it's an old Machlokas between the Gaonim, but more modern day times, it will be Mishnabur against the Aruch HaShulchan. If you skip things, should you say them after Shmon Esrei? The Aruch HaShulchan said no. So when I was in yeshiva, I was like, that's a good opinion, because that's skipping, and I'm into that, and I'm not going to say it. And I just, I'm completely honest, I was 13, I was like, that sounds good, I'm, I'm, I'm good to go, I'm, I'm Aruch HaShulchan. And I've been doing it for a very long time, I don't skip very often, you know, but, but practically it's a machlokas. Now let me just explain, why would you not say it? Like, what does it hurt to say it? It's just halukas. Right, I get asked that question a lot, which is just like, it's just Tehillim, right? When people ask, there's a certain day of the calendar, which uh, people want to say Hallel. Some sects of Jews are very against saying Hallel that day. Some are very into saying Hallel that day. And the question that you always get asked, which is like, what does it hurt? It's just, it's just Tehillim. The answer is, davening, things that are being said as Tehillim, very much change when they're being said as part of davening. Meaning it depends on what your intention is. So let's say I skipped all the halalukas. The Aruch HaSholchum would say, do not say them after, do, don't. It's not a good thing. Do not say it. Mishabru says you should say it. Now why would the Aruch HaSholchum say not to say it? Because let me explain. When you say those halalukas as Tehillim, as Psalms, they do certain things in Shemayim. But when you say them as part of davening, it's different, and they, they have a different result. And the reason why you would be against saying it is because let me explain how davening, the formation of davening, right? Psukh de Zimra is meant to praise Hashem in order to lead to the request. That's the formation of it. It's the praise leading to the request. If after you finish Shmona Esrei, after you've already asked for things and said thank you, you now start saying the praise leading up to the request, in Shemaim they're like, what is this guy doing? He's already asked, and it's like, does he not understand? Like in Shemayim, they're like, what is this? No, no, no. What's going on here? Stop. Stop saying it. Again, things that are just Tehillim change when they're being said as davening. I'll give you another example. Now, this is all by, by um, Shachris. Let's go through. So Shachris, I told you what to skip, okay? Again, whether you remember or not, whatever. Tear, you can listen to it. What about Mincha? Mincha, you don't have a lot of choice. Mincha is just Ashrei, it's Ashrei and Shmanesrei. So skipping Ashrei. Here's the halacha. If you get to Shul, 
and they said Ashrei already, and they're about to start Shmonesrei, start Shmonesrei with them. Because the main point is to start Shmonesrei with the minion. Skip Ashrei. So should you say Ashrei afterwards? It's a machlokas. So what do you do? Say it, but have in mind that it's Tehillim. Do not say it as davening. Say it as Tehillim. The reason being is because I'll pee, for Kabbalistic reasons, we do not say Ashrei at night. Like there's a rule that a lot of people don't know about. Let's say I missed Myriv. I do two Shachrises, right? I miss Shachris, I do two Minchas. I miss Mincha, I do two Myrs. So what's the, what's the process for that? Let's say I missed Myrv. I completely forgot. I went to bed. I wasn't feeling well. Get to Shul. I realize, oh man, I didn't have Myrv last night. So here's what you do. You dive in Shachris. Shmona Esrei, have in mind that it's Shachris. You take three steps back. Then you know what you do? You dive in a second time. Having in mind that this one is a makeup for Myrv. But you know what you do in between? You say Ashrei. You miss, mincha, you miss Shachris. You're doing two Minchas. You know what you do in between Shmona Esrei? You say Ashrei. Ashrei is always said before Shman Esrei by Mincha and by Makeup, except at night. We do not say Ashrei at night. So for Kabbalistic reasons, you don't say it. So what do you do if you skipped Ashrei in order to catch up with the Minion? So you say Ashrei afterwards, but have in mind that it's Tehillim. Do not say it as Davening. Have in mind that it's Tehillim. So by Mincha, you skip Ashrei in order to say with the Tzibar. And what about Myriv? Myriv is very interesting. A lot of people do not realize this. Myriv, if let's say you get to Shul and they're up to Shmon Esrei, Say Shmon Esrei with them. Skip everything. Myriv, skip everything. Say Shmon Esrei with them. And then, after Shmon Esrei, say the whole Myriv, except for Shmon Esrei. So, you get to Shul, skip everything. Just say Shmon Esrei with the Tzibar. Do you want to grab and open the door for him? Dad can't get the door. I don't know. It's pretty... <laughs> so... Oh, there's Almond. So the point is, if you're, if you're coming late to, so again, if you're coming late to Myriv, skip everything. Skip everything if you're coming late to Myriv. Just say Shmonese with the Tzibar. Skip everything. Just say Shmonese with the Tzibar. Then after Shmonese of Myriv, then say the rest of Davening to do as a makeup. Now, I will say this. That's the, again, that's what you skip in order to make up with the Tzibar for Shachos Mincha Myriv. But let me just explain one thing. Let's say someone is Davening Myriv with the minion. And he doesn't need to skip a lot. Like, like I said, if you come into Shul late for Myriv, and they're up to Shmonese, just say Shmonese with them, skip everything, and then say the rest of Myriv after Shmonese. That's the halacha for Myriv. But let's say you're davening with the minion, and you're like, I don't need to skip that much. Or let's say you even started with them, but you just daven super slow. And you're like, I can't make it with them if I daven at my pace. So you don't skip, but there's one thing you should skip. Okay? So let me just explain a little bit. Um, there's a rule that it's called Saimich Gula which is that by Shachris, for sure by Shachris, but even Myriv, we want the bracha of Ga'al Yisrael to be said right into Shmon Esrei. We want no separation. Ga'al Yisrael talking about the redemption from Egypt, we want that to be the last thing you say before you start talking to Hashem. It's very important. You mention the redemption from Egypt, how Hashem saved us, and then that'll be a very good way to start your Shmon Esrei. Hopefully he'll save us again. That's, that's the premise. So the Gemara goes through there are stuff in between. So Shachris, it's pretty straight, right? Shachris, if you ever notice, the last thing we say is Baruch Atah Hashem, Go Al Yisrael, straight to Shema. There's nothing in between. There's one, one line, the introduction from Shema Nesri, Hashem Safasetiv, that's part of Shema Nesri. But Gal Yisrael goes straight into Shema Nesri. By the way, that's why, because we don't want to say anything in between Gal Yisrael and Shema Nesri, we spoke about this last time, that we do not answer Amen to Gal Yisrael, because the Amen is a separation, and that's why they're not sure, people are not sure what to do. So one, one, there's three solutions to avoid. When you hear a bracha, you got to answer Amen. The problem is I can't answer Amen, because i got to go from Gal Yisrael straight into Shema Nesri. So there's three solutions to this problem. 
Number one, finish the bracha with the chazan. Say Gal Yisrael with the chazan. That's one, because then you can't answer Amin to your own bracha. That's one option. Number two, when he's about to say Gal Yisrael, quickly start Shemona like a second before. So I'm already in Shemona That's option number two. And option number three is what some people do, which I, 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 I many Paisk and Rav Shlom, Zalman wasn't a fan of this, and Rav Hankin wasn't a fan of this, and that's what a lot of chazan do, they'll say, Baruch Hashem, and they go quiet. So you don't hear it. So Now, I used to, I, I remember in the misconception shirim, I used to say that that's a misconception, because why are you allowed to do this? Rav Hankin was not a fan of this. Rav Hankin said, you're a chazan, you have to say things out loud, you can't just go quiet. But the reason why I'm not, I'm not going to say that it's wrong is because Chabad, for 200 years, has been doing this by a different bracha, the bracha before Shema, which is also a problem of answering Amen. That's why what we do is we say, everyone says it, everyone says the bracha together. Chabad, if you've ever been to Chabad Shul, they say, quiet. They go quiet. So if Chabad does it for 200 years, it's obviously not going to be wrong. So that, that's a simple thing. So that's by Shacharis. Gal Yisrael is pretty much direct. Now if you go to Mayrev, now Mayrev has got a lot of stuff in between Gal Yisrael. So let me just walk you through some of them. It's just very interesting to know. And it also helps when you dive in Mayrav to know exactly how these things were made and why they were made. So you got Gal Yisrael in Mayrav. Okay, right after that, there are three things between Gal Yisrael and Shemona Asri. So let's just walk through them. Kaddish. To answer the Kaddish, how Kaddish is there, many Rishonim, there are Rishonim that say the Kaddish is really part of Shemona Asri. Somehow. That's why Ramosha Feinstein used to take three steps back when he would be Chazin, to say, to take three steps back before he would say Kaddish, because Kaddish is already a part of Shemana Fine, so Kaddish we got taken care of. Right after Gal Yisrael, you have the brach of Hashkivenu. Hashkivenu, Avinu L'Shalem, Deinu L'chaim Taiv M'Shalem, which by the way, especially for the Matzav and what we're going through right now, read this bracha with Kavana to protect us from the Satan, from the Malchamavis, from Mageifa. Why is this here? So the Gemara in Brachis says, the reason why this bracha is not a separation is because this bracha is part of Geula. It's part of redemption of Egypt. How is it part of the redemption of Egypt? So if you look in the back of the Gemara Brachis, Rabbeinu Yonas, Tamid Rabbeinu Yonah, have a pirish in the back of Masechus Brachis. They say that this bracha, what does this bracha have to do with the redemption of Egypt? They say that this bracha was actually authored by the Jewish people on the night of the Seder. That when the Jewish people at the night of the Seder in Mitzrayim and they put the blood on the doorpost to protect them and Hashem is going from house to house killing all the firstborns, Kla Yisrael was very scared because they didn't know what was going to be with them. I understand they, they thought they were going to die. So they all collectively set a tefillah to protect them from death and from this bracha was actually said by them so it's part of the redemption of Egypt because it was actually authored by the Jewish people to save them from Egypt. Fine. So if you're, I think Svardim, do Svardim say Baruch Hashem Le'olam? You guys don't say this. So Chabad, the Grah, and Svardim, that's it. Shmoneser. There is one long tefillah that is found in the Nusach Svardim, Nusach Ashkenaz, it's called Baruch Hashem Le'olam. Now Baruch Hashem Le'olam, Tosfus says, was not authored by the Gemara. It was authored by the Gaonim. It was by the, the Rabbanim right after the Gemara was done. There was a group of Rabbanim called the Gaonim. They wrote that tefillah. So what's the, what's the purpose of this tefillah? So if you look at it, the, basically that tefillah is like a condensed Shmon Esrei. It has 18 concepts in it. It's like a condensed Shmon Esrei. It, it serves like a dual functionality. First of all, it's that if someone needed to leave shul without davening Shmon Esrei, they would just say that. Also, it sort of forced everyone to slow down because um, they used to daven in the fields. 
and they were afraid, people would be afraid, they didn't want to be left alone. If everyone's like running out, you're like nervous, you don't want to be left alone in shul because it was dangerous in the middle of the fields, in the middle of nowhere. So that bracha, that tefillah sort of slowed everybody down because if you get to shul a little late, you're like, okay, they'll say Baruch Hashem Liolam, it'll slow everybody down. Chabad doesn't say it, the Vilna Goin doesn't say it, Svardim don't say it, and the reason why Chabad doesn't say it is because they feel it's a separation. You're not supposed to say anything between Gal Yisrael. And this is unaccounted for because this is not authored by the Gemara. This is authored by the Godim. So Chabad doesn't say it. So I'll tell you like this. So the poskim say that let's say you get to Shul and you're running late for Mairav. You should say everything except for that. Skip that. That you can easily skip. You say it after Shemon But that you could easily skip in order to catch up with the Tzibor or in order to damage Shemon with the Tzibor. Especially knowing the fact that I'll tell you practically, over here, a lot of times throughout the calendar, there's going to be situations where people will ask, you know, should we say it? Baruch Hashem Liolam is not said on Matzei Shabbos. It's not said on Cholomoyed. It's not said on Matzei Yom Tov. So people sometimes ask, like, Purim, do we say it? You look in the Netta Gavriel. Some do, some don't. This minig is not to, this minig to. So I, my rule of thumb is that because it's something that itself is very debatable to say, whenever there's a legitimate possibility of not saying it, I'm not going to say it. That's my approach to these things. Okay, uh, I want to run through a couple more things, uh, and then I'm happy to take questions. A um, couple things. One is actually, uh, it was actually Negev from this past Shabbos. I wanted to, someone asked me, so I wanted to clarify. I think I was outside getting, uh, you know, uh, like, uh, while this happened. So, we had an offer of this past Shabbos, right? A simcha, chasen getting married. So, someone asked me, why did we say the tefillah of Av HaRachamim? Now, Av HaRachamim is a tefillah that said, right before Musaf, it's a very sad tefillah. It's about Jews that gave up their lives. It's not generally said on happy occasions. Whenever there's no tachanon, we skip avarachman. So someone asked me, why do we say avarachman when there's a chasen here? So the answer is, uh, according to most opinions, a chasen is defined, while we call a chasen, like before, the chasen is after the wedding. After the wedding is the chasen. I'll give, I'll give you an example. Um, the, the, there's, a, there's a halacha, it's not a minute. it's a halacha brought down in the Gemara that a chasan and a kala need a shomer. People during shiva and a chasan and kala need a shomer, right? Need a shomer. So everyone, most people are familiar that the day of the wedding you need a shomer, and that's when you call a friend and he's got to walk with you everywhere, he's got to take you to the mikvah and he's got to sit for pictures. That's a shomer, right? That's a shomer. You'd be me, for me, if you. Keep distance from people. No one's going to ask you to be a shimer. But if you're a very friendly guy, everyone likes you, then you're going to be a shimer. You're going to spend your whole day. So I'll tell you like this. The truth is, the Indian of a shimer before the wedding is not a chiv. It's a minig. The actual chiv starts after the wedding when he's a chasan. After the wedding, after the chuppah, when he is a chasan, now there's a chiv, chiv of shmirah. You need a shimer for the week of. Now the reason why most people don't realize that is because the chasan and kala usually watch themselves. A shimer means you can't walk alone. Generally, the chasen needs one, the, shimer, the kala needs one. So during the week of Sheva Brachas, they generally watch each other. And people don't realize that, because they're also usually around people. But conceptually, if the chasen during the week of Sheva Brachas just says, hey, I want to go get pizza, he should go with somebody. There was an old minute going down back to the 1650s, the 1660s, the chasen did not go to shul during the week of Sheva Brachas. Now, I, I think that you should. I don't, I think you should. I'm not going to tell people not to, but where does that come from? So it's a shayla, his wedding's in a couple of days. So it's a shayla of, of, of what's the Indian of why does the chasen not go to shul? If anything, the chasen during the week of Sheva Brachas should definitely go to shul. So there was two reasons brought down. 
So the Taz, and the Chazanish talks about this, the Taz says perhaps the reason why is because he didn't want to exempt the Tzibah from saying Tachanun, by the way. Because we know that when a Chasen is there during Sheva Brachas, there's no Tachanun being said, right? Tomorrow morning there's not going to be Tachanun here because there's going to be a bris here after davening. There's certain days where there's no Tachanun. The Chasen during Sheva Brachas exempts the Shul from saying Tachanun. So when there's a Chasen there, everyone's excited. The Taz was so bothered that a Chasen, that the Shul wouldn't say the holy Tfil of Tachanun. They said it's better not to go to Shul during the week. That's probably not the reason. Then the Taz says another reason, because then, by the way, for that, you could just always walk out of shul before Tachan, okay? The Taz says the other reason that they don't, that the Chassan didn't go to shul is because they couldn't get a Shimer. The Pasha couldn't get a Shimer. It's hard for someone to pick you up every day. You're not going to get your Kala out of bed at 6.30 in the morning. And it's hard for you, okay, but for that, whatever, that you can get a friend or also on your way to do a mitzvah, you know, the chulah, the But B'Kitzer, that's an Indian. But that's only after the Chuppah, right? The Minig of Rav Shita, Rav custom was, that's why YU people do this, I don't know, I'm sure you've seen this, you've been a lot of chassamists, they put the ash under the chuppah, right? Most people put the ash on the chassan's head before they walk down the aisle, they put the ash on the head as a zecher for the churban. Rasulovetchik's opinion was, and YU Rabbanim will do this, they'll put it under the chuppah. Why? Because he said, you're not a chassan yet. You're only a chassan when you enter the chuppah. So you put it on the head of the chassan. You're not a chassan yet. The point is, going back over here, the reason why we did we said Avaracham in this past Shabbos was because a chassan is only a chassan after the chassanah. So during Shabbos, Sheva Brachas, there is no Avaracham. But during the Afruf, because he does not have the halachic status yet, that's what the whole Indian of a Shmir is. The day of it's a minig, it's a minig, it's a chassidim, and other chassidim have the minig, but it's not a chiv. The chiv is dafka from after the uh, from after the chasana. A couple more things I just want to run through, if this time permitted. A couple more things. One is uh, I noticed this that by tachanun, svaradim don't do this, but Ashkenazim we, we we fall on our on our on our hands. We fall on tachanun. That's what svaradim don't do this. But Ashkenazim, if you, have, if you haven't seen it, you fall on their head. Now, the reason for this was, is because in the times of the Gemara, they, at least in the early Tanoim, they used to lie down on the floor like we do on Yom Kippur. And the halach is that when you're on a stone floor, you have to put something between your head and the floor. So they would put their arm, they would put their sleeve down between their head and the floor. And while we don't go on the floor today, there's still the, the Indian, uh, the Zecher Leminig, that's still the concept of you put your, you put your sleeve down. Now, I just want to make this point. The Paiskim say, this does not help if you're not wearing a sleeve. You, you can't, skin doesn't separate skin. So I just wanted to point this out, because a lot of times you, like, you'll see sometimes the, the guy that know the halacha, they're like schlepping their short sleeves. But a lot of times you'll just see like this, put their arm against their head, it doesn't help. You have to put something in between. A um, couple more halachas I just want to run through, and then, yeah, a couple more things, and then, then we'll take a break. Um, tomorrow there's a bris. I just want to point this out, if possible. Obviously, if it's difficult, it's difficult. But if possible, the Mishavur brings down, it's good to wear your tefillin until after the bris. Ois tefillin, ois bris, if possible, to still wear your tefillin. The Bali bris, the moyel, the father, and the sandik have to wear tefillin. But everyone else, if possible, now it's hard sometimes because, you know, it could be 10, 15 minutes, but ideally you should still wear your tefillin until after the ceremony of the bris. A couple more things I just wanted to point out. Um, yeah, eh, two or three. Um, Okay, one is a little bit longer, but I'll just kids uh, we, we spoke about this um, on Friday night. Let's say you have a situation where you need to turn the light off or on in your house. Okay, So there's a concept that under certain circumstances, you could ask someone who's not Jewish to turn it on or turn it off. Now, I'm not getting involved in those laws. Those are a whole sheer in and of itself. 
fought. Sometimes people will say, and this is a big misconception, I have a four-year-old daughter, a five-year-old son, I'll, uh, I'll hold them up, like I'll take a two-year-old, I'll hold them up, and, and, and I'll be like, Daddy doesn't want the light on. And, okay. Now that's very much not allowed. That's very much not allowed. There's a special iser doi raisa, a biblical for, uh, prohibition, as we say during Kiddush, ata uvincha uvitecha, that by Shabbos, in addition to you not doing something, you're not allowed to have your child do it for you. So, if your child is old enough to know that you want this being done, and they do it for you, it is a biblical prohibition. So where does it come from? There is one application. If you have an infant that has no idea what's going on, I'm talking like a four-month-old baby, and you hold them up by the light, and they're just flinging their arms, okay, then if it's allowed, I'm not saying you could do it with the light off, uh, light on, but you could do it to turn the light off, because then you're not benefiting from it. That's where it might be permissible to do that. So people took that and they're like, well, if a five-month-old baby can do it, what's the difference in the laws of like children between five and four years? The answer is, in this case, a lot. Because once the kid is three years old, he knows that daddy wants this, then that's a biblical prohibition. When they're four or five months, they have no idea what's going on, then they're just flinging their arms. That is potentially under certain circumstances permitted. If you look in Sin Shim Mem Gimel and the Shulchan Aruch and Yaakov Yosef, they have a whole arichas, but I just want to point that out. Two... Yeah, I guess conceptually, you hold it up your dog and it's flinging. Okay, I guess so. Uh, again, not it's not always permitted. You have to not be able to benefit from it. It's more when turning the light off. But my point is just, I'm not saying it's allowed. I'm just saying that it's definitely not allowed when they're three or four. Uh, just two more things I just wanted to point out. Uh, actually, one more thing along with this. No, no, two, two, two. Um, this I could ask. It's so not again during the winter. But during the summer, I could ask this. And if for some reason, someone asked me today. And I just want to mention... Can I, if you find yourself like upstate, it's so not relevant now, but I'll just mention it's just on like, it's on a recording. If you're upstate and there's no mikvah to bring, Kaylee mikvah, I'm not talking people mikvah, like a Kaylee mikvah, can I just dip it in the river? So I just want to point this out. Um, you cannot, after it rains, you have to give it a few days after it rains. Now, the reason is for the laws of mikvah of Kalim, this is true for people also, but for Kalim specifically, you could either do rainwater that's settled or flowing river water. So a river is flowing river water. That's good. The problem is after a heavy rain where the river swelled, we're afraid that you're actually dipping it in the flowing rainwater, which is not okay. So you cannot go to the river unless if it's rained the last couple of days. you got to give it a couple of days to let anyone who's been like upstate or like when we were in New Hampshire, if it rains a lot, you literally see the river it goes up, you'd have to let it settle back to its natural height, then it's okay. Just want to point that out. And the last halacha I want to mention, I was by the cemetery uh, on Sunday? What day is it? Is it oh my gosh. Crazy. Sunday I went I went to the oil. And I went to other kvarm. We went to some kvarm. So afterwards, that night I went to the oil, and I was talking to someone, and he asked me, how come that when you go to older cemeteries, the letters stick out? But in the more modern cemeteries... And the Rabbonim, it's all sunken in. So the reason is for very simple. The Gemara in Hurry, it's a Gemara. The Gemara in Hurry says that one of the things that cause you to forget your learning, Kabbalistically, is reading tombstones. Do not read tombstones. The Gemara says if you read your tombstones, it causes you to forget your learning. Okay. But says the Arizal, that's only true if the letters stick out. If the letters are sunken, there's no problem. So reading letters that are sticking out causes you to forget your learning. Because of this, it used to be they weren't particular about it. 
But because of this, over the last 80, 90 years, they stopped making tombstones in the more orthodox world. They stopped making tombstones that stick out. If you go to cemeteries, 1800s, they're all sticking out. 1930s, 1940s, they all started being sinking in to avoid this concern of this Arizal. I'll, one more point. Again, I don't understand why. This is Kabbalistic. You've got to just chalk this up to this is a thing. If you read, don't read tombstones where they're sticking out. But I will say this. A lot of times you'll go to cemeteries. It's a minig of Klal Yisrael for the last couple hundred years to put rocks on a tombstone. Now, why? I'll tell you why in a second. But I, listen, I was once in a I was once in a store in a Judaica store in, in Boca where they were selling uh, rocks from Israel to to put on tombstones. Okay. Whatever, that's just ridiculous. All rocks will do. It doesn't have to be rocks from Israel. So what's the Indian of putting rocks on a tombstone? So the Berhetev brings down. Very simply put, you want to show the person that's buried there that people went to visit them. It's a covet to show that he's cared for. So in the most in the non-Jewish world, they put flowers. The problem with flowers is they rot. So we put rocks. It shows you, like, oh, look how many people are there. And by the way, it works when you're in a cemetery. You don't see, see, like, wow, tremendous rock. Oh, it must be a big tzaddik, right? That's well, why else do people go there? That's one reason. That reason brings down that one of the ways to counter this bad taking away your memory loss thing from tombstones that stick out is if you put a rock on it, it removes the potency. So that would be another reason to put a rock. But because of this, because of this, uh, the minig of Klal Yisrael was to stop making tombstones that were sticking out, and we made tombstones that would sunk in uh, in order to avoid this concern.